0: Welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you on a journey into the Crucible for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its community, and the excitement of discovery. I am but one of your hosts, the one with the accent that's less fun to listen to, Zach Armstrong, and I am joined again by Ed Pocock. Hello, everybody. Yes, always good to have the full team on board. And we are, of course, joined once again by G. Barger of Archon Arcana. Welcome back, G. Hi, thanks. Yes, we are so glad to have you back for our deck discovery episode, where you have sent us this deck that we get to talk about here, stories from you about. And I have to say, this is an intriguing one. And we can jump right into it, because there is something that if our listeners have uh, clicked the link that will be in the show notes for this particular deck, there is something they're going to notice right off the bat when they end up on the Master Vault here. So, G, could you tell us what's the name of this deck and tell us the story how you got it to 46 organized play games recorded?
1: Uh, so the deck is Sanshin, the Marchioness of Bullies. And basically what happened was there uh There was an interview that Richard Garfield did, and I think we talked about this a little bit in the, uh, in the previous episode, I think, where he basically talked about how Keyforge was great. And one of the things that he was hoping to do with Keyforge was to sort of bring this back into uh, the early days of TCGs where people would have one deck and they would play that same deck over and over and over, you know, for weeks or for months, even at one point he said. And so with Sanchin, basically what I had been doing is I'd gone through, and I, I, had, I have more than one deck. Sanchin is the deck that is, like, locally is the one that I'm kind of known for playing. But basically the reason that I'm known for playing it is because I wanted to just see what, how well does the chain balancing mechanism work in chain bound events. And I also wanted to get a chance to really get to know a deck and see what it can do and kind of really put it through its paces. And so, as it stands right now, Sancheon is at uh, a, an amazingly uh, balanced 23 wins, 23 losses record. Uh, all of that is through Chainbound. And um, yeah, and it's just been a lot of fun to play. It's a really fun deck. I like a lot of what it does. It has a lot of like just really fun cards to see, like uh, kind of like impacty cards. And uh, yeah, so I just like it. And it's great, it's been really good because of how many times I've played it, I've gotten a really good feel for what the deck is going, you know, is doing, what can it do? What do I need to do to sort of get the deck into a place where it's going to perform the way I want it to. And uh, yeah, so it's just been, it's been a lot of fun. It's a very fun deck to explore. Lots of really neat cards in there. So.
0: Hmm. Well, spending an immense amount of time with one deck to get to know it's, it's and outs and really discover it on that level is something that's, close to our heart here at Call of Discovery, Ed and I both have our own experiments with that going on. And something I notice about this deck is that it has mostly one of cards, as in there's only uh there are are three pairs in this deck all in one house. All of the other cards are are one off. So what what does this deck do consistently even though it has so many different pieces to it, so many different tools?
1: Uh, what it really does is it, it really has a lot of just a, of a really good destruction. I mean, a disruption element to it. It basically wants to, while doing things for itself, it wants to get in the way of what your opponent is doing. The weird thing is where you have, when we talked a little bit about the Mars engine and how the Mars engine is really weird. But if you can find a Mars engine that you can make go, it can really go. The combination here of Mars cards between the two soft landings, the two squawkers, the John Smith and the Crystal Hive, you can really, really get a major amber influx off of that. Um, and then you have nice, some really nice control cards and discs that will sort of slow your opponent down. Um, control the weak is obviously a great one. Um, it also has uh, Charette. To pull a chunk of amber off it also has uh shaffles to sort of like uh keep constantly hitting at their amber pool after your every turn it's got a succubus to sort of keep their draw down um that's it's it's really a big like i said a a big get in your opponent's way and then see what you can do to make other things go um the creatures in this don't really do a lot to make it go they're more to get in the way um the the real engine of the deck is in mars um with uh like i said with some major disruption going on in like shadows and discs. yeah if
0: our listeners uh if our listeners gave a listen to the previous episode where we discussed those those engines and Mars being running on corn oil, I'd have to say this deck has many ten gallon drums of corn oil just being poured into its engine because it looks nasty. Those soft landings and the squawkers just keeping keeping your Mars creatures ready with John Smith to ready them again. The Dominators for protection. Oh, that, that just looks like so much
1: fun. Yeah, it's like I said, it's a it is a fun deck, very fun deck.
2: I think, Zach, you really touched on something fascinating there when you, you you said about the fact that actually most of the cards here are one-offs. Um, for myself, anyway, I find it really difficult to evaluate a deck on first glance when it has one-off cards. I think... Naturally, our brains are drawn to the patterns that you see uh, where there's a lot of one card or another card. You can kind of see that a deck wants to do something. It can be very difficult and almost overwhelming at first glance to say, okay, here's 36 different cards, um, and then maybe work out in a minute or so. What is what is the challenge of this, and what what does this deck want to do, and how is this deck going to to achieve its master plan? So, I suppose would that make this deck quite a good adaptive deck? Gee, have you have you played this deck in adaptive at all? I have played it in some casual
1: adaptive. What I feel like is a better, to be fair. What makes this deck really great and adaptive is in playing it through so much chain bound. I. Pretty much know exactly where the pivot point is. So I know that uh, you'll see that it's sitting right at eight chains. I would consistently uh, go two, one, three, oh, at eight chains. But anything above eight chains, it would lose. It would lose all three games, like consistently. So pretty much with adaptive, I know exactly where that breaking point of the deck is like if i have eight chains i have a good shot if my opponent overbids if the opponent goes to nine chains i will let them have it and let them play it and then because the small the reduced hand size with this deck you have a real issue with because you have soft landing and the squawkers that can't really do anything unless you've got something on the board so if you end up with double you you know you've got a high likelihood of getting soft landings and squawkers in your hand because you've got that's four out of your 36 cards and so they that's kind of sitting in a dead spot when your hand is small so uh yeah so that's that's sort of like the big thing for when you're playing this adaptive you want i would definitely try and push my opponent up and once you start getting into the eight chain range people start to get a little iffy like oh can i make that go with eight chains um because that's a long time to be chained down by a card or two so uh, but yeah that's uh, yeah it's, it's a great adaptive deck i've never pay, i've never played it in uh like a competitive adaptive like at a vault tour or something like that but in a casual adaptive it usually goes it goes it does do pretty well
0: i would have to agree and i think for adaptive one of the biggest skills is to know how the deck that's getting voted on will handle chains i think that is often the deciding factor in an adaptive match that doesn't just you know is isn't just two games and done so that's that's really interesting to hear, especially that with more chains, your soft landings and your squawkers don't really have anything to do. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, your the deck just starts to to grind to a halt. But this deck has a, a lot of other fun stuff in it. The master plan to hide a card underneath until the perfect moment Um pandemonium and guilty hearts to capture a bunch of amber then blow everything up what are some what are some of the fun combos between the singletons that you found that might be like a a combo that might be an out that you play to in a particular match uh
1: one of the things that i really if i especially if it comes late in the game would be uh, if you can get a if you you know you've built your your hand around this for a bit um you can use like you said pandemonium and guilty hearts is is a great classic if you can get if you've got the life word already on the board i'm a big fan of disrupting by playing life word, like by uh, sacrificing life word and then doing a control of the week. and if you know what's in you know you've got a good idea of like what their board looks like you know what's in their discard pile you can really really handicap someone by you're forcing them to play a certain house but yet they can't play any creatures from that house Hmm. so that's just a it's a lot of times if it's if you can get that to go that's a really good where you're basically limiting your opponent to a turn possibly where they can do nothing and especially in a creature heavy deck or you're getting it to where all they can do is Suboptimal action cards, where they maybe getting one or two amber out of it.
0: Yeah, that is certainly a great way to start to close out a game, control the week, and especially with the icing on the cake—the icing on the control the week cake of Life Ward—is just is just nasty. My goodness! Um, and uh, it looks like you've got plenty of uh, amber control in Shadows. Is most of the amber control just in Shadows, or do the other houses help help keep the opponents amber down when they're threatening to to forge?
1: Well, I mean, you can always in in this you can use uh, you can use pandemonium to you know it doesn't necessarily help you, but it does help you know it can help uh, it can help slow them down a little bit. The charrette will help them. Shaffles uh, has has become a clutch if you can get it out. Um, charrette will do that. There's not a lot of you have pretty much zero amber control in Mars, which is so like I said you've got the weird you've got your weird engine out there. And then everything else you're kind of is just your disruptor, um, <clears throat> so uh, yeah. But that, I think you, you pretty much hit on all the good stuff. The the there is a lot of damaging like between finishing blow and relentless whispers. There's a lot of like damaging steel. Yeah. Um. You've also got some really good synergy if you can keep if you can get Carlo Phantom out, and then follow that with your master plan or your uh, subtle mall to get a steel and an artifact on the board and then possibly with master plan, get some space in your hand. Um, Yeah. It's just, like I said, it it really is just a a fun deck to play. It's a lot of, and and I've played it a lot. So I kind of know like where it's working and where it's flowing. And one of the things that uh, I think is the most um, difficult when you pass the deck to somebody else to play it is you can like when you end up you'll end up with dead mars cards in your hand you're just like i can't do i don't want to do anything but the, and the tendency is at least what i've often seen people do is you'll have like a soft landing and maybe a squawker and you know you know what if i can draw that john smith i will do it and it, you're better off sometimes just discarding especially if you have like i've i've had it where i've had two squawkers and a soft landing. And you're just like, if I can get that John Smith, everything will be all right. But that John Smith, you can't count on that John Smith coming. So your better plan is to just ditch your, ditch the soft landing, play the two squawkers to do some stunning, and then just let free that space up in your hand. That's almost always the better play when you get like that kind of trio, whether it's, you know, the two soft landings and a squawker or both squawkers and the soft landing. It's, it's about, to build that mars engine you've really got to cycle those cards out and it it you know it's not it's not an engine that will always fire but it is something that you've got to get you know you've got to be aware that holding those cards while it would make a really great explosive turn it's probably not going to happen
0: sure sure and i think those setups in decks that have things that are combos that are tempting to hold on to cards for like squawker soft landing and john smith is great for adaptive because you can really uh pressure test somebody's judgment there right like i know i could certainly fall fall victim to waiting for a john smith to show up uh in my hand just so i could do the really cool thing but uh but sometimes that you know (laughs) that uh, it might not be the most efficient play to get something new. Um, Speaking of master plan, it's honestly one of my personal favorite artifacts in the whole game Uh, for the uninitiated. It's an artifact gives you an Amber pip and it says, play, put a card from your hand face down beneath master plan. Then it has an Omni ability so you can trigger it on any future turn play the card beneath master plan, sacrifice master plan. And now this, this lets you play anything you've stored off off turn, and probably maybe out of the house that it that card was originally in, so gee, what is your favorite thing you've master planned or your favorite master plan that you've concocted and pulled off playing some card <laughs> perfect moment out of house?
1: I think uh one of my choice like my favorite thing to put under master plan in this deck is a soft landing um, just because being able to bring in any creature ready is massive but there's another thing that soft landing is sort of like uh, a lot of people forget is that soft landing also applies to artifacts that's and so right.
0: that's right yeah
1: so if, you, if you're able if you've got an artifact that you want to use immediately say your life word or say you've got a bunch of creatures in your hand or you've got a bunch of creatures on the board and you want to get Double reaps out of them, and suddenly crystal hive. You've got crystal hive there in your. You know, you've got your Mars ready. You've got a bunch of Mars creatures ready. And if you if you could have drop the crystal hive ready and double your reap on it, that'd be great. So yeah, soft landing. Soft landing being able to apply to artifacts. I love to drop that under there and then either use it on something like even using it on subtle mall is fine. Um, but yeah, using it on an artifact is a, is a fun twist that. Usually, people aren't prepared for, and it can like i said especially if you can drop if you if you've got it in disc and you play the life word and you sacrifice it that same turn and then like the call the control of the week with it that mm. uh i it's not table flipping good, but it it makes people very angry. <laughs> <laughs> table table flipping good.
0: I like that. <laughs> oh, that would certainly do it. A life ward out of nowhere. My goodness. My goodness. That is mean. That is mean. But a wonderful use of master plan and soft landing. I'll admit being slightly surprised uh, soft landing being the choice, but you've made such a good case for it with all of those... <laughs> Lovely, all of those lovely uh, artifacts that you have to drop ready. wow, That's My a goodness. great
2: example of where getting all those reps in with the deck can really give you an edge over your opponent. I mean, we were talking about adaptive a bit earlier. If this was an adaptive match, I'm sure that your opponent wouldn't think to uh, soft landing on, on the uh, under the old master plan so uh it's fascinating fascinating quirks of decks that, that you come up with I, I must ask a question uh the the deck is currently sitting at a 23 to 23 win-loss ratio in organized play um yeah one of the things that zach and i are currently doing is going through our own epic quests for decks that zach alluded to just now and, and and listeners you can go back and listen to our epic quest episode uh a little bit earlier on for us but did you find that you were getting rewarded for that repetitive play did you find that the more you got to know the quirks of the deck the more you were edging out some of those marginal games or did you think that actually overall it made very little difference to your win-loss ratio
1: oh uh I would say the, I would say definitely the more that, the more that I played it, uh, you know, like soft landing, like the soft landing under master plan, that was something that didn't occur to me really ever. I mean, it took, I mean, I probably didn't come in till like the 10th, maybe like my 10th game, 11th game, but then once I had it, because soft landing, because there's a duplicate, it's got a slightly higher chance of one of them showing up in your hand. So you're like, Oh, Well, I can get, I can on a Shadow's turn, I can get rid of a soft landing, and then I can bring whatever in I I want ready. And then when I realized that it, when I sort of like clicked, that it also would hit artifacts, I was like, oh, well now. But yeah, I think that playing a deck over and over and over again, while it seems on its face, that's very boring. Like if you you (laughs) said you've got one deck to play, and that's all you can play, for 50 games. That's going to sound very boring. It's going to sound very limiting. But the one thing it does is it makes you you start to really evaluate on a card by card almost to an amber by amber like okay, I know that on if I'm going to win this, I've got to make so, you know, I've got my target number of amber that I need to be pulling a turn. And what am what can i do out of these cards what's going to allow me to get to that amber count per turn most consistently and you know sometimes you'll go over it and that'd be great sometimes you'll be under it and you can and you hope that you can make that uh, make up that loss on a on a later turn um so that's yeah so that's sort of the thing that the more reps that you put in with the deck the more you're able to see different things and you start to kind of get to Patterns. You start to find favorite things you'd like to do. You also start to realize what cards are really good against other cards. Like, um, Surprising, I, I guess not as surprisingly as you would think, with the Guilty Hearts and with the Control of the Weak and with Fear. Um, this deck actually, it's not amazing against big Dino decks in the new set, but it does pretty well. It also has things like the poison wave that can pop a whole row of wards and then you can do things. So you start to, I think that what's been really great about it is I have played Sanction through the Coda release. I've played it through the age of Ascension release and I've played it through the world collide release and Mm -hmm. seeing that this, how this deck interacts against car against decks from all the sets has been really interesting. And it really sort of, You get into a, you get to a point to where you're essentially like, you're building, like, you know, we talked about the engine. It's like, what can I do to get my engine going, regardless of what my opponent is doing? If they're not going to be disrupting my engine, can I make my engine go faster? Mm -hmm. And you start to, you know, so you sort of like, you have to figure, I feel like that's the sort of thing that's great about Keyforge is you figure out early and you know some people talk about are you the rusher or are you the stopper or what, however you want to think about it are you the person who's building the engine or are you the person who's breaking the engine and if you're if you're the person who's building the engine you've got to be able to keep building your engine no matter what is going on with your opponent and what's nice about sanction is so many of the cards that are in here are giving you amber as you're doing the disruption so as you're breaking something of your opponent and giving them something that else to deal with, you're also getting amber out of it.
0: Yeah, those those blessed, blessed amber pips. Yeah. I that, that, that is a nice reward. You disrupt your opponent and you get some amber. I have to say that's a deal I'd take any day.
1: Definitely so. Um so yeah, I mean, I yeah, definitely a reward. I feel that there is a very high reward. And I, you know, going back to going back to that interview with Richard Garfield, I feel like he wanted it, he wanted keyboards to be a game where, you know, you had people who were tied to decks. And I feel like that's, that's something that hasn't necessarily come about to people. There's so much of the grass is always greener kind of mentality in a lot of players with keyboards where it's like, oh, well, I have like these 42 decks. I need to play all of them. And I, I'm not disagreeing. I'm not saying you shouldn't play all your decks, but at the yeah but at some point it does there is a, a i think there's a large benefit to saying okay you know what i'm going to spend some real time with this deck and see what really makes this deck go
2: and so what's next for this deck are you are you done spending time with this deck or do you feel that you're you, you've you got more to discover with it
1: i i basically what this deck has kind of become locally is it's the deck when someone says hey i need i've got a new deck that i want to try out it'll be and i i I will always ask well do you want to run it against Sanction?" and they will they're the question will be the the response is well i don't think my deck is that good or it's like yeah I, i want to see what it can do and so it's I don't. It's not that Sanction is an unbeatable deck. It's just that because I know it so well, I think people see it as if I can take that deck down with G playing it. Then the deck that I've got, if I can, if I'm playing this deck relatively cold, if my deck beats Sanction, then it's probably okay. It's probably a deck that's worth doing some more with. So it's a, it's a really good. I feel like it's a good
2: yardstick kind of deck. It's a. Benchmark deck. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool because it can be very difficult to evaluate decks unless it's against another deck, really. Um, I mean, what is a deck on, on its own if not, if not compared to the meta it's part of?
0: Indeed. Indeed. And I love that you and this deck are really poster children for that wish of Garfield's that decks can be so connected to People and you know, I'm honored that we get to talk about you and your connection to it here. That uh, so many people around the Bay Area and California, USA, know. And it it harkens for me as as a, a good old nerd. It harkens to those stories where you know a warrior they have a sword with a name that's theirs, right? Or a technique that only they have mastered. And it feels like we're actually getting those sort of storylines in Keyforge. And I would love to see people emphasize them more. And uh, thus, I'm very happy to be able to get to talk about, you know, G. Barger and Soshin, the Mar- uh, the Marchioness of Bullies. And I've taken it to 40, you know, this 46 plays. And you know it so well, you've played it against all of these sets. That's just such a great story that's unique to Keyforge because this deck, you know, this deck would have had cards taken in and out of it for different metas if this wasn't Keyforge, right? By any normal player but it's been the same the whole time and that's just so exciting and so fun
1: yeah that's and like i said i feel like you're exactly right like if i could tweak the deck that would be one thing it'd be like okay and i would probably be you know infinitely tinkering with it but for me that is not as interesting like that's not i was never you know i never got into deck building or anything like that so that never really appealed to me and so the fact that well since i can't make this deck any better the only thing that i can make better is my relationship with the deck and so the only way you make that relationship better is by playing it over and over and over and over and over
0: mm, i think i might need to steal that point that you can't make the deck better you have to make your relationship with it better ooh. that is that is ooh, that is gold that is key for gold right there my Deep. friend <laughs> you you have opened a vault, of, vault of emotion <laughs> <laughs> yes uh so I have I have one final question for you, G. It's probably the most serious, somber question of all the ones we've asked about this particular deck. How did Sanshin earn the title the Marchioness of Bullies? That that feels like something not lightly bestowed.
1: So, so a Marchioness is a is the a wife of a Marquis or a Marquise, however you know the different regional pronunciations. And so I feel like basically what happened is uh, Sanshin was uh, just elevated and she was just a premier bully. I mean, if you look at the cards that she has and you look at the things that she can do, she just wants to just poke at you and just not not be nice. Like, it's not that she's, uh, you know, she just has nothing nice to do to you. She doesn't want to give you anything. She only wants to take away from you. Sometimes she'll give it back with like a charade or something like that but really she just wants to get in your way. And if that's not bullying, I don't know what it (laughs) is.
0: So not, not many fertility chants or fuzzy
1: gruins in this deck, it would seem. No, no, not a, not a lot of love, not a lot of love from, from the Marchioness of bullies.
0: The Marchioness of bullies. Well, what, what an appropriate, what an appropriate name for her that you have uh, bonded so well with over, over all these years. And I think, uh, uh, as much as we embrace positivity, we will we will endorse your endorse your wonderful relationship with the ruler of Belize here, just for the sake of Keyforge, uh, and the competition for the vaults, <laughs> ostensibly. Well, thank you so much, G, for bringing sanchin to us from the Bay Area to the world to all of our lovely listeners. We really appreciated getting to hear about your story of all of these plays and what she does so yeah thank you thank you so much for coming back we appreciate it
1: thank you so much for having me this has been an absolute treat
0: oh it's been a treat treat for us too it's been a treat for us too so listener if you are enjoying call of discovery and are willing and able to support us monetarily our patreon is linked below where you can put your own weird and wonderful decks in the spotlight much like Sanshin. And also that any tier of the Patreon includes an invitation to our Patreon-only Discord where you can talk about the future of the show, provide questions for our guests, and so much more. Uh, Regardless of whether or not you're participating there, let us know what you'd like to see more or less of in future shows. You can do that by contacting us anywhere we live, which is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or emailing us at discoverkeyforge at gmail.com. You can find us as Call of Discovery on all those platforms. But most importantly, more than all that, if you think a friend would enjoy this particular podcast, please help them to discover it. Have you answered the call of discovery?